재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 There has been a sharp increase in the number of aid workers being targeted for kidnapping over the past few years. According to Aid Workers Security Database, which provides statistics and analysis about attacks against aid workers, the number of reported kidnappings uh, between 2002 and 2014 quadrupled to 121. And to uh, discuss this in more detail, we're very pleased to have joining us from Durham University, Professor of Applied Social Sciences, Lena Dominelli. Hello. Hello, Lena Dominelli here. <laughs> well, thank you so we much for joining off. us. The first question is, what are the major reasons behind the rising number of aid workers being targeted for kidnapping? Yeah, I think it's a really terrible situation that people who go to help other people get killed in the process. Um, I think there's a number of reasons for it. Um, first of all, humanitarian aid has changed a lot over the last um, few years in that aid workers are now embedded within the military. Um, we are dealing with more and more fragile states full of armed conflict. And whether we like it or not, although most aid workers are very neutral and try to stay out of the specifics of conflicts, the people there are... Um, very much seeing them as part of the problem and not the solution. And so they see them as uh, you're siding with the military or you're siding with the other side or whoever they choose, and so therefore they become fair game. And, of course, that's the least um, on the minds of the actual aid workers themselves who simply want to go and help people who are in dire situations and in dire need of help and support, particularly practical help around um, food, clothing, water, shelter, education for the children, safe places to stay in. And, you know, they're even right. killed in, in, the, um, in the camps nowadays. Now, kidnapping is a horrific thing to go through. But that being said, is that where we're seeing the greatest rise of numbers or are there other forms of violence that aid workers are unfortunately being subjected to? Well, it depends on how you calculate your figures. I know that you've looked at the um, aid worker security report because you mentioned that when I first came on the line and they tend to link uh, deaths um, uh, with kidnapping. Not all deaths are uh, people who've been kidnapped. Some are, so they, it's really hard to tell from their stats. But they're also underreported, um, so it's hard to know exactly how many. And also, there's a huge rise in kind of, especially for the women aid workers, in sexual attacks against them. Mm. So, you know, they don't really kind of like focus on those too much. Um, but when I did some research in uh, various uh, areas, uh, which for the sake of the people involved, I'm not going to mention names, um, people were saying, well, you know, I- I- I'm actually not reporting the fact that I've been um, sexually abused and attacked or raped. Um, and the women just have to put up with that. And that now sexual attacks on women has become, you know, a weapon of war because of the the way that uh, gender is configured in a lot of the states that are fragile and have poor governance and uh, many other things like corruption and so on. So 
and corruption being defined as not enforcing the rights of people to have violent-free environments, which their states are supposed to guarantee under the UN conventions that they sign when they become members of the UN. In terms of countries that aid workers uh, visit, which nations have the greatest risk of kidnappings? Uh, well, the ones that are current at the moment, you know, and they've been consistent for a long time, are Iran, uh, Iraq, um, Pakistan, um, Somalia, South Sudan, um, Syria is huge, yeah, so <clears throat> Syria has been more recent than the others, but, you know, the usually it's the same top five and has been for... Uh, a good few years since the um, the invasion of Iraq. In terms of... So and, it's, it's, yeah. it's linked really to what I call the armed conflict in those right. situations. And then the fact that a lot of aid workers become embedded within the military. Mm. So that's why, you know, separating those who are killed off from those who are kidnapped and killed because they've been kidnapped, and we have lots of those horrendous ones too... Um, becomes important in terms of actually trying to find out which is which. Um, but still, you would have kidnapping, but that's because nobody really collects figures on sexual assaults. Otherwise, I suspect those would be highest on women and children. And I have to add that boy children are sexually assaulted as right. well as girl children. And that's another horrendous story in itself. It is important work, and obviously there is a challenge to anything you do in a war-torn area. But in terms of the aid sector, what would you say are some of the biggest blind spots? Well, it's difficult to say what a blind spot is. But if you look at what do um, aid workers not do that they should do, and most of them probably know better and would like to do, one is that they have to have really good local contacts. So if they don't have them, that becomes a blind spot because their safety, as far as I'm concerned, um, is best dealt with by having good local contacts, people who support them, who believe and trust in them to be there to do their job in a neutral way and not to um, pick sides. So that's one blind spot. Another one is lack of knowledge of language and also of the culture of the area. And I keep talking about how we need to develop locality-specific, culturally relevant um, forms of intervention so that people get what they want. Too many aid workers and donors kind of like just have a one-size-fits-all form of aid and delivery. And so you get duplication, lack lack of coordination, and people get sick and tired of that. I mean, my research revealed that in the first immediate aftermath of a, of, of a disaster, people will kind of um, want just the basics, food, clothing, water, shelter. But after that, as they move into the reconstruction phase, they want to be consulted, and mm. that doesn't happen very often. So the local people feel other people are deciding what their future is, and that's why I argue that locality-specific, culturally relevant um, interventions are what we need. But you can't really do that without knowing the local language and the culture. And if you don't know it, then you have to work 
very closely with the local people and interpreters and local organizations who do know and who do want to kind of like rebuild their communities. Because if you ask them what they want, they just say, we want to go back to where we were before this war or this right. disaster happened. Yeah. Such a difficult issue. I mean, it's thankless work often, and uh, often you, do, you don't want to see these people uh, face these kind of difficulties, including acts of violence or kidnapping or even sexual assault. Uh, Professor Dominelli, we are out of time, but I do appreciate you joining us, and we uh, certainly appreciate your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye for now. That was Professor Lena Dominelli from Durham University. Soul City News, up next.